and welcome to the Experiential Education Podcast. This week, I'm talking with Sue Belcher, Head of School for the Downtown School in Seattle. Sue led the creation of the Downtown School, which is designed to uniquely equip students to ask important questions, generate creative solutions, and act from a sense of agency to implement their ideas. Sue combines a deep commitment to Seattle and the Pacific Northwest with teaching and administrative leadership experience in independent, public and international schools. Originally from the Midwest, Sue earned a bachelor's degree in mathematics education at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a master's in library and information science at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. The concepts and framework of the downtown school is based on a new model of schooling called the micro school, which focuses on affordability, accessibility and serving a small student population. It was great to be able to chat with Sue about the work she's been doing to create a dynamic, future-focused learning environment for her students at the downtown school in Seattle. Thanks for chatting with us today, Sue. Could you give us an overview of your background and how you ended up at the downtown school in Seattle? Absolutely. So I have been involved in education for almost 25 years, initially as a high school math teacher and then as a high school library director and eventually at a school administrator. I have worked in large public school in the States. I have worked at the International School in Prague and then two different independent schools in the United States, one of which is Lakeside school, which I had been at for 10 years in a variety of roles. And their board of trustees launched this idea that they wanted to create a school associated with Lakeside that was more economically accessible to more families. And I was asked to lead the research and development of the school, which is about the coolest job ever basically gave me a year to explore what's going well in public schools, in private schools, for for for-profit, not-for-profit, international schools, and start with a blank slate and design what is now the downtown school. I had to, at some point, apply to be the head of school, and I was able to take that on. So here I am. That would have been an awesome experience just being able to have a clean slate and build something from scratch. Where do you start with that? Great question. You know what? There was a tremendous amount of support at the main campus of Lakeside, and I was able to visit lots of schools and check out what they're doing, thinking about what is our business model, thinking about the curriculum. You know, one of the things that financial constraints do is they allow you to get creative and think about every aspect of running the school and why are we doing things this way? Is that because that's how it's always been done or is that what's best for kids? And if we could just dream, what would it look like? So there was a combination of visiting lots of schools and then a team at Lakeside with two teachers in each of the core content areas of math, science, English, history, and Spanish, and then two interdisciplinary thinkers, 
we work together on the curriculum part of the downtown school. I think that's also translates into business and in life as well. If you've got a very restricted budget financially, you do have to become very creative with what you're doing with it. Absolutely. And a good example of that is many independent schools in the United States have an entire building associated with admissions. And we, at the time that we started, it was myself and eventually one admin support person. And we decided we were going to do interviews at what is called KEXP Gathering Space. It is a radio station with a community gathering space about two blocks from the school. So really demonstrating one of the key facets of who we are, which is using the city as lab. We actually meet the students for their initial interview in the city. And so that's an example of a way that we've recreated one aspect of running the school. That's a great idea. I really like that. And use of space in a different location that's probably not being used to its full capacity as well. So rather than have a whole new building or a whole building dedicated to that, using an existing space. The radio station has since really said that they appreciate the fact that we have brought hundreds of families into their gathering space that wouldn't have come otherwise and now realize it's there and a great place to get coffee or do work sometimes. So it's been a win-win for both us and them. I really love the philosophy of the school and you have it, school doesn't define you, you define the school. And that's the fact that Your students aren't defined by the school itself, but they define what the school is. Many schools try to do the exact opposite and you go to a certain school because you'll turn out apparently in a certain way. What were the origins of this for the downtown school and how do you foster and support that student vision within the school culture itself? Great question. Well, one of the unique things about starting a school is really you're creating culture from the very beginning. And just like the teachers feel like part owners in a startup, our students feel the same way. And so they are creating all of the clubs and activities that exist at the school. And they will graduate truly with a sense of agency to make their vision a reality. Some examples of that is we have students who are very passionate about music outside of school. And a group of students came together and created an orchestra in which one of the students arranges the music, another student actually conducts the orchestra, and they've performed for us in assemblies and are currently putting together, they were putting together a spring event that was going to be in an evening, which was a John Williams tribute. And so that's an example of them creating culture within a school. There's really a part of the downtown school where we wanted an incredibly humane and healthy schedule that allowed for students to explore their passions outside of school and then bring those passions back into school. So we have students who are really into dance or service or sports and the fact that they can come and bring that work and identity into school makes for a more amazing school culture as well as conversations and debates and dialogue within classes. 
We really are excited about how much the students have influenced what the school looks like. And that's really important in life as well because we're not defined by what job we have. It's a whole stack of personal things. It's a whole stack of feelings, emotions, and interests that define us, not are you an accountant? Are you a doctor? Are you frontline retail sales? So I, I like that. As part of your daily program, it runs from 9 a.m. to 2.15 p.m., and the students only have three classes a day. I would imagine those external programs, that allows for students to go and work on their own external interests as well. Absolutely. So one of the things that I lean into tremendously in the philosophy of the school is we don't believe more seat time equals more learning. I can give even the example of right now with the COVID-19 pandemic going on, I have two kids at home who are thriving in learning in a one-on-one -on -one environment. The reading is taking off, their math is taking off, but we're spending much less time each day than we would during a typical school day. The same is true here. We want students to have time to play with ideas, to explore their passions outside of school. I think it also relates to this idea of the unbundling of education, that you don't have to go to one place for the soup to nuts experience with all of the pieces of your learning. Most schools have a comprehensive athletics program. Um, every school that every student that attends in essence is paying for that. Whereas if students are doing athletics outside of school, say it's a private club team, they don't necessarily have to pay for the students who do it during the school day at a specific school. We've got a similar program in Australia where the government actually pays a subsidy for all kids in certainly my state who want to go and join a club sport or an afternoon sport. And so it basically pays their registration fees, but if they're doing it at school, the scale of the infrastructure and the cost to do that at school is phenomenal. And it generates other interests. So if you're always with the same people at school all the time, you don't get to know people outside of that. And I think it's a very narrow view of the world in many ways. It relates to one of the themes of networks and complexity. And the students are definitely creating their own social networks through a variety of different parts of who they are and where they exist on a daily basis. I see that with your ninth grade to 12th grade programs, every year level's academic program is designed around themes. So what are those themes and how do they fit in across the years to form part of the student's journey? We have four themes depending on which grade they're in, nine through 12. And those themes go along with what's happening with them developmentally. So in the ninth grade, which is our first year, the theme is identity and learning. And we actually start and end the year for all students with these three week long intensive courses, which are often interdisciplinary, but a deep dive into a topic. And so the ninth graders in their first three weeks of school, they are spending all their time in a course called How Do I Learn Best? 
and they're learning about how the brain works and especially the adolescent brain. They're learning about neuroscience and psychology. And then they're also exploring parts of their identity that relate to learning and that school year with health and wellness. The sophomore year, the theme is networks and complexity. Junior year, it's leadership and decision-making. And senior year, it's change, creation, and navigation. If we think about the junior year, leadership and decision-making, they're starting to think about college process and what that will be. And they're also taking on more significant leadership roles within the school, within their passions outside of school. And they're making some really big decisions about next steps. The opening intensive for the junior year is a class called Ethics and Citizenship that looks really big picture at these ideas of what does it mean to be a citizen, for us of Seattle, of the United States, of the world, and what ethical decision, what is your moral compass, and how do you define your ethical practice? Certainly with COVID-19, we're going through lots of questions where hospitals, if they only have limited numbers of resources like ventilators, are making really challenging decisions about who lives and who dies. And our students will be learning about different ways to process their ethics. The 12th grade year, change, creation, and navigation, we know one thing that's going to be consistent throughout the rest of their lives is change. They're not likely to be in the same career for their entire life, live in the same place, and so forth. And they'll be making a pretty significant transition from their teenage years living at home and attending school to the majority, if not all of them, to a four-year college and beyond. So giving them skills, we try to weave as much as we can into those classes. The opening intensive for the senior year is what is the good life? And that's really students thinking about like, what do I want in my college experience for my life? What are my values? How does that compare to my family? Are they in alignment? Different aspects of what their next steps will be. With one of my programs, I frame a very similar question. And for students, I say, what is your picture of success? And that means something so different to everybody and it's unique and it's a remarkable thing for kids to be able to get their head around and look at what do I really value about life? What's important to me? What's important to me in terms of family and living my life? I, I love that way that you're approaching it. With the City Lab, tell us a little bit about that and what options do students have within the city and what sort of things do they do as part of the City Lab? One of the hallmarks of our program is using the City as Lab. And through this, we're really trying to contextualize what is happening in the classroom, in our curriculum, with what is happening with businesses and organizations. And so one of the things that we've done to create a process where we can really be involved with different businesses and organizations and make this happen on a regular basis is we have one permission slip for the whole year, at least in the United States. Oftentimes you have to have signed permission from parents and guardians every time you leave the school. And we've really gotten rid of that obstacle. They parents sign on to this when they enroll their student. So at least once a week in one of their classes, they will be leaving the school and engaging with some other business or organization. I can give a couple of examples. In biology this year, 
our ninth graders got to go to the Seattle Children's Research Institute, where they actually got to do two labs related to cancer treatment for children. And they were really doing experiments related to cutting-edge research on immunotherapy. And that was really extraordinary for them. They also got to tour the facilities and see sort of envision what they would look like or feel like if they were a research scientist. In the English class, we have a partnership with the Seattle Opera, and an example would be they recently, the ninth graders recently attended an opera, but before they attended the performance or the dress rehearsal, they got to be in a room where at each table, there was someone who leads a different aspect of running the opera. So someone from development, someone who hires the talent, somebody who creates the set design, someone who is in digital marketing, and all of these different aspects of running an organization. So students got to meet with each of them and ask questions. And it culminates in our students actually doing a pitch for a real world problem that the opera has, which is, why don't teenagers go to the opera? So our students are giving their two-minute elevator pitch on how to get teenagers to attend the opera to the marketing and arts direction at the opera themselves, and they'll get real-time feedback. So that is a win-win along the way. Another example, a history class in 10th grade history class got to go to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and observe some cases And two of them were related to real estate. They got to understand how court operates and and so forth. But the third case that came through was about online teenagers, online gambling with Bitcoin, and everyone perked up and were really interested. I think one of the things that our students will graduate with this understanding of the wealth of resources that are available, specifically in large cities. That's very exciting because a lot of schools, even if they are in a city, will just be that little bubble inside the city. People will come and go and they might go to a cafe nearby that building or nearby that school, but they won't really interact with the wider community in any meaningful way. So I think that's a really unique and wonderful way that your students are getting an experience. The city is one learning space. What other learning spaces do you have at the school and why is space so important to a student's learning? It's an interesting question. We are in a 1927 old Catholic school and renovated this space before the launch of our school. The actual classrooms are quite big with tall ceilings and lots of windows for light in Seattle, which is super important. We have a giant common space downstairs where students gather before school, after school, they can have lunch there. We are also very close to the Seattle Center, which is where the Space Needle is, which is a common Seattle reference. We have an open campus at lunch. So students are really experiencing more freedom because they're able to be out and about. I would highlight two other spaces. One that's not really specific to school, but 
We are not a city that uses a ton of public transit, and yet I would say the majority of our students come to and from school on public transit because we don't have our own busing. And so our students graduate with this ability to navigate the city even well before they have their own driver's license. And the second is the virtual world. So we really were able to make a quick transition to what we call virtual school when we've had to, you know, not be together due to the coronavirus. Our students in the virtual school setting are in a different learning space and we're trying to support all students, but it is really interesting and fun to see that some students who weren't as engaged in a brick and mortar school are in their element in a virtual learning environment where we have synchronous classes using Zoom or whatever platform. That is another space that we're learning to navigate. And we've done a lot with not only having classes, but thinking about school is so much more than just a place for classes. There's a tremendous amount of community that takes place and we've We've tried to do a lot to keep that community building going online while we don't get to see each other every day. Could you give us an example of that? Because a lot of schools across the world are going through that at this very moment. How do you keep that sense of community when everybody is not able to physically be on a campus together? So our counselor, Sarah Murphy, she emails out a health and wellness tip every day. And some of them have related to community building. One assignment that we gave all students was mostly to get them out of their house, but we asked them to do a two minute video, less than two minute video of them in their favorite neighborhood park and share what they love about it. And we had over half of our students participate and they could all watch each other's videos along the way. So that's one. Second is this week, the community building activity is there. Everyone is, has been charged with sending a video of themselves and it could be members of their family singing or playing Let It Be by the Beatles. And one student is compiling that in a mashup with all of the students together. So I'm very excited to see what that ends up looking like. We also have an upcoming day that I have set aside for teachers to do some big picture planning about what are the essential skills, habits of mind, and content that students need in our last quarter if we are in fact online for the rest of the year. And our student government has been doing a tremendous job in planning out basically a virtual, I'll call it field day or community building day. But one of the things that they're planning is a, dan a virtual dance. And if you're using Zoom, you can actually separate people into different breakout rooms and different students will be DJing different rooms in this dance Zoom party, if you can imagine. <laughs> That sounds like a lot of fun. Both of those are really cool ideas with the mashup of Let It Be and certainly a, a timely song at this point in history and cool dance rooms. I, I think that's wonderful given the constraints on not being able to be on campus. It's been fun and I've been incredibly excited about the student leadership in this area. The kids really just want to be together. 
And that's one of the most amazing things about school communities is being able to be together. And the fact that they've shifted their way of thinking so quickly and come up with an alternate way of doing that is really cool. Just moving on to some service learning. Service learning is a big thing at the downtown school. So what service learning opportunities do students have? Ananya Rabea is our service learning coordinator. She's also our math teacher. And she has a list of organizations that have been pre-approved for service. And students can also add to that list. They basically, their service has to relate to one of six key areas, which are food, water, shelter, education, health, or freedom. When we have specific days for teachers to write grades and comments, we always offer an optional service day for students while they have the day off. And we've worked with a number of organizations, examples are Food Lifeline, Youth Care, Operations, Staff Lunch, real change, most of those relate to food insecurity or homelessness, which are two topics that hit close to home with teenagers. Right now, when we are not able to leave our homes as frequently or gather, Ananya, I just met with her today and she's put together a list of 10 different organizations for which students can do remote service, which means that obviously they're doing it from their own home maybe is something like speaking with people in aged care remotely would that be something that would be a possible virtual option it's not one that she has on the list right now but a lot of them relate to there's some relating to animals and humane societies and things that they need that our students can create toys for cats and these kinds of things many service organizations don't necessarily have really strong technology infrastructure and many of our students who are great with coding and web design can help them design more efficient websites and also help them with social media posting and getting awareness out there. That's an area where our students really can thrive. Another relates to just like, for example, Operation Sack Lunch wants our students to write notes of inspiration or notes that they can include in their sack lunches and things like that. So ways that they can work remotely but help an organization in need. One other program, the Duke of Edinburgh Award, which I'm involved with, the community service is one of those challenging things for students to be able to continue doing because a lot of it is community service in person. So that's good to be able to continue that despite the current lockdown or the inability to, to gather in groups. So far, what's a really cool aha moment that you've seen in a student or a teacher as part of your overall experiential education programs? You know, for me, it's been incredibly rewarding to see when we partner with an organization or have a speaker that sparks something within a student that they just run with. So for example, in one of our math classes last year, and we have thematic units in math, one of them was financial literacy, and we had someone come in, actually a parent who is a stockbroker, 
and was able to talk really in depth about the process and what it looks like to be a trader. And one of the students really started engaging in this virtual stock market and asked if the class could or maybe the entire school could participate in a virtual stock market. So our first year, everyone was given a same virtual amount of money and all of the students participated in this virtual stock market that for a while was so exciting for students every in every other class teachers would have to be like okay put away the trading put away the trading <laughs> and it went throughout the entire year i remember a dad telling me once yeah, so my son called me during the middle of the school day, which I thought is not a good sign. And I was incredibly nervous. And then when I got on the phone with him, he was asking me for stock advice. If there were any companies that I thought would be going up in value anytime soon. <laughs> so a real example of a time where a speaker sparked something within the students. Along those lines, strangely, a year ago, we had a speaker come and talk to the math classes. They were in a unit on mathematical modeling for contagious diseases. And one of our students' grandparents, his grandma, was basically one of the country's leading experts on coronavirus. She was somebody that the Center for CDC is the Center for Disease Control. She was the first person that they called in when we found out that SARS was a coronavirus. We had no idea the word coronavirus would be a daily conversation piece a year out. So in virtual school, she came back and did an assembly. We used Zoom webinar and she did an entire presentation for the students on COVID-19. And they were able to ask lots of questions and get her perspective. And it was really pretty timely and incredible. That would have been really good because there's so much disinformation at the moment. And if you watch the news, which I, unfortunately I'm still watching the news every day, even though it is quite frustrating. One story says one thing, two stories later, it says the exact opposite. And there's been no curation of those stories whatsoever. So being able to hear from an expert would have been really good for the kids. Yeah, the students were super appreciative of it along the way. As change is such a strong part of the school program, and we're seeing phenomenal change throughout the world right now, where to for the next developments of your experiential education programs at the downtown school? One of the things that we're really thinking about is after having the first graduating class and some markers of success for the school, we could see there being, and we're a school with 160 students, so and not planning to get any larger than that, so 40 per grade level, having other similar schools in different neighborhoods around the city, so maybe one on the east side, one on the south end, that their city as lab experiences would be unique to what businesses and organizations are in that area. For example, on the east side, it's very tech heavy. Microsoft is there. T-Mobile is located there. And so creating other schools with City as Lab components unique to the neighborhood they're located in. That would give a different flavor for each of those schools. I guess you would draw on the expertise of those local businesses and those local partnerships for visiting guest speakers and a whole range of things for the students. 
yes. And we're really excited about the potential for that to happen sometime down the line. The other part that is, you know, right now the transition to virtual school is a really significant change, one that we didn't expect, but it is a time where we have brought in so many more speakers in the last three weeks than we have in ages because everyone's calendar is much more wide open. Everyone is able to come and speak to a class via Zoom. And so it's a great time to get people in that you wouldn't, would have been too busy to do before. That's been really exciting. And we're also thinking just in terms of pedagogy, if we're moving into fourth quarter, the last quarter of the school year, and if it's possible, we'll be in an online environment for that. What does that look like? How do we change? How do we emphasize in what student engagement looks like during those synchronous classes and maybe de-emphasize lots of homework and assessments outside of the class period? I think it's a exciting time for educators to try things they've always wanted to and hopefully use knowledge gained to help move us forward in years ahead when we are in this environment. Exactly. And it's often when it's business as usual, nobody wants to take any real risks. But when we're presented with a situation in which we have to think creatively and we have to take risks, it makes it a really good opportunity for people to try new things and to experiment and to see what works and what doesn't and there not be that negative connotation, if that makes sense, that often comes with people trying something new that's out of the box? Yeah, we're in year two of operation. And in year one, I worked with the teaching team on, we all basically embraced this mindset of perpetual beta that we do not want perfect to get in the way of progress. And so the teachers at the downtown school are incredibly creative, but they also are very open. There's a ton of comfort around risk and iteration, trying something out, seeing how it works, and then, you know, improving upon it for the next round. And I think not only is that great for teaching, but it's a great model for our students because they watch not only what we're teaching, but how we are and how we engage with our own learning. That's a wonderful approach because that really says everything about the ability to change and adapt and to build that mindset into students that the world is changing. We do need to adapt and we do need to take those risks and be open to trying something. And if it doesn't work, we try something else and we try something different until something does work. That's true. Thank you so much for your time today, Sue. It's been really good hearing about the downtown school in Seattle and the wonderful work that you're doing there with your students and your staff. Thanks, David. It's been incredibly engaging and fun for me to talk to you as well. So thanks for taking the time to learn. That was Sue Belcher, Head of School at the Downtown School in Seattle. For more information on the City Lab and the other programs at the Downtown School, check out the links in the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate us and leave us a nice review. It helps others to find the podcast and helps us to review and improve the show as well. If you'd like to get in touch or want to let us know about an experiential education program you're running, please drop us a line through the website. 
Join us next week as we explore more great stories and ideas for experiential education.